Hi, and welcome to the PhD Talk podcast. I am Eva, a civil engineering professor and blogger on the side. And I'm Rico, a PhD student in civil engineering. Join us on this podcast in which we discuss all topics related to PhD life, research mechanics, and lived experiences. There will be interviews and discussions with guest researchers and PhD students. We hope you stick around with us on the PhD Talk podcast. Welcome to episode number 16 of the PhD Talk podcast. Today, we are going to continue with the topic of the literature review. And um, whereas we talked about reading in episode 14, today we're going to do a deep dive in how to really find these articles. So we continue the topic of the literature review, but now really focused on finding the articles or the dissertations or the books that we're interested in. Um, so Rico, can you tell us how do you usually search for articles? Where do you start and what is important for you there? Yeah, absolutely. So we're taking a step back, you know, before you can read, you have to have something to read. I guess the, the idea with any literature reviews, as we mentioned last time, is that you want to read both broadly and deeply. And so in order to do that, you know, your first step is you have to gather these, uh, these papers. And uh, at least for myself, you don't gather them all in one shot. You sort of progress as you go along, as you read other papers. And usually the way I'm searching for articles is um, through my library and through the access that the university gives me to these online uh, journals. There's different um, search engines. The one I use most often is uh, Engineering Village. Is that similar to what you use, Ava, or do you use another one? Uh, I just remember Engineering Village that I used to use it when I was at Georgia Tech, but at Delft, we I don't think we have Engineering Village. Um, but what it does is it compiles Scopus Compendex and Inspec, if I remember well, is what it did in 2009. Uh, so <laughs> if it still does the same, what, what I use is mostly Scopus or uh, Google Scholar. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So yeah, Google Scholar also uh, comes in handy if for whatever reason I don't find the article that I'm looking for, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, how do we go about like finding these these articles? Well, like one way that you could do this is um, talk to your supervisor, talk to fellow PhD students that are working in the in the in the same field or in a similar field as yourself, your colleagues, and uh, you know ask them what sort of what sort of articles they've read and that they've found useful. And in fact, even if they're not in the same field as you, if they're not studying the same topic, you can often learn a lot by asking colleagues like you know what are the seminal papers in their field. Uh, I've you know been able to sort of browse some of these papers and you, you can learn a lot about sort of tangentially related topics that aren't necessarily for your literature review, but increase your general knowledge in the field. Do you have any other uh, tips for finding these articles or, or uh, asking for suggestions maybe? Yeah, besides the, um, the shared drive and the digital copies, in non-pandemic times, it may be interesting to just go look at the bookshelves of your colleagues, especially the uh, some of the older references that were just printed as reports and that may not have been digitized yet can be uh, easy or better to find just sitting on the bookshelves of a colleague. Typically, these very um, technical reports are also not something that your library may have because they may be really specific to one research group. I know that in, in Delft, our research group has a few really um, bookshelves and archives that have our uh, things that are uh, 
outside of our library system, but that are just a compilation of things that we've brought from conferences and reports that we got from, from other researchers and mostly material from, from people who may have already retired, but uh, kept some of, of the work in there. Part of it has also been gone through recycling, but uh, some of the more <laughs> seminal reports are still in those, uh, in those archives. Yeah. And I know, uh, actually, related to this, um, yeah, going to a conference now, they tend to give you a, a USB key with uh, the papers from that conference, or at least the abstracts. And so I, I know that I've uh, I've taken advantage of uh, the conference that my supervisor has been to, and so used those USB keys and found the article that I was looking for. They tend not to be so robust. I have noticed that, especially if you if you don't treat them very well, those USB keys, they stop working after a while. Yeah. So I... I have some conferences where I try to get it back from the USB drive and it's it has turned all into to gibberish. So. Yeah. I've got I've taken to backing up everything even if uh, even if it's unlikely that I'm going to use that again. Uh, I'm I'm terrified of losing all that data, so. Yeah. Okay, great. So let's say you've started or you have uh, somewhere to begin. You've found that paper from your colleague or maybe you've searched and you found a, a paper that you think can be very useful to you. Well, that paper can guide you down the rest of your article searching and into your literature review. I don't know about you, Ava, but a lot of my articles, the way I find them is just looking at the references from uh, another article, right? So I believe that the term for that is reference mining. Going down the rabbit hole of papers. Yeah, exactly. We were talking last time about how we take notes on papers. And that's one of the things I do is always mark down the further papers that I have to look up. It leads me down further, further rabbit holes, as you said. And I always end up with, you know, for every paper I read, there's five other ones that I want to read. So it's never ending. Yeah. And if you read them um, digitally, you can also click on the, if you really have the DOIs activated in the PDF, you can mm-hmm. go straight to the next article there. Yeah, exactly. That makes it very convenient. Now, one of the things that I've been doing in the past is to, once I have a number of these papers that I found, try to reconstruct the history of what happened to the topic by Mm -hmm. looking at the papers in a chronological order. So really trying to see where did this start from, what was the first uh, topics I addressed, and and then seeing which, perhaps which topics then popped up in the 60s, and then which ones gained more attention in the 80s, and and see how the field has uh, shifted over time, or how some topics we still keep discussing 100 years later. Uh, Is that something you've been doing as well, Rico, or uh, not so much, perhaps? Yeah, so... um... Not so much uh, on my end. What ends up happening is, you know, you'll read a lot of these introductions to to papers and, um, you know, a lot of them begin the same way. They start with sort of the, the early papers and then move forward and, you know, get to where we are now and what their contributions are. And um, uh, so one of those is um, a paper by, uh, anyway, in my specific field, it's a paper in our field, actually. It's a paper uh, by Ritter uh, in 1899. And it was sort of one of the early models for for predicting a certain, uh, you know, a sheer strength of something anyway. And uh, so they always seem to start with that paper, but I've actually never looked up that paper. And it's always uh, the, the references in German. I'm sure now there must be translations of it into English, uh, but I've never done that. And, you know, you mentioned this topic and that's something 
that I want to do is sort of put these articles and put these research topics into a chronological order because I feel that's helpful for putting things organized in your mind and you know understanding where you fit in into the this long history of of research in that field. Do you often do that, Eva? Do you like consciously create a chronology of of the of the research field that you're working on? Yeah, I tend to to do this because I I like to see really how it has changed over time. If there are things that we still haven't figured out after decades of of looking into it. Or if perhaps there were some side quests that then were found to uh, not to be that interesting. So yeah, I, I tend to to look at it for topics as well as chronologically. As a follow up to that, um, how do you judge when consensus has been reached on a certain topic, or is there is there a trick for that? Because what I do is I just you know you sort of start to see a lot of the same papers being referenced. And so you can assume that, okay, well, the the, the research network, like the, the field of researchers have decided that this is sort of the best way to move forward. Or is there something uh, better than that? Or uh, do you have any ideas on that? I think in our field, it is it is perhaps slightly easier than, than in other fields because we do have uh, the consensus that gets into the building codes and standards. Sure. Um, so I think any field that that also has as its output standardization or normalization of, of elements, when you get to that point of, of normalizing, standardizing, codifying something, you have to have a certain level of consensus. And I think for us, that is the, the codes or perhaps technical documents that, that form the background of the code give us that insight into consensus. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And uh, uh, the commentaries as well are, are very important from the building codes because they tell you, you know, exactly where this information came from. We're lucky in that way in that we have this, like, you know, the built-in consensus documents, you know, mind you, they could be, they're very different or they can be different across, you know, uh, the Euro code and the the American code and the Canadian code. So. Mm-hmm. And the fact that everything has to be done by consensus sometimes also makes makes that there is a lot of thresholds to innovation in in building industry mm. in general because then you have to go outside the scope and that's tricky mm. yeah absolutely so rico we mentioned earlier then that you use engineering village to find the articles but what do you type into the box to to find an article how do you really define search strings there yeah. Well, uh, we were talking about this a little earlier and Ava, you mentioned how in structural engineering, we're lucky because because of these codes, a lot of the search terms are standardized, right? Like, you know, there's only one way to talk about reinforced concrete. It's the word reinforced concrete. There's not five different words to, to say the same thing. And so we're lucky in that, you know, a lot of these search terms can be, uh, you know, you, you know what they are right to begin with. And the ones that aren't that way, that maybe are a bit more ambiguous, are uh, often related to, you know, for example, new research fields or new materials, research topics where there there hasn't been a consensus potentially, or just there's, you know, we ha- we don't have that long history to say this is the word that we're going to use to describe this thing. So the ones for engineering are like mm-hmm. uh, the ones that I've encountered are like fiber reinforced polymers. So this is like plastics and and uh, carbon fiber. Uh, reinforcing they have different words for that frp cfrp depending on the material type um so it's helpful to search for all of those because or else you might miss out on an important article and how about you Eva? you have any tips for that like what do we put down on the search bar 
I, I think a little bit of syntaxis of search strings, the basics of that can be helpful as well. So if you want to combine terms to use the N A N D, if you want to search for a string complete, put it between quotation marks. We don't have to look for very complex search strings in our field, but the, the basic combinations and, and use of, uh, of these quotation marks can get you a long way. And in addition to that, you may want to first look at um, just searching in article titles and then broaden the search to article title as well as abstract, for example. Mm, yep. And let's say in your search or in your reading, you encounter an article or perhaps a research report that you can't necessarily find uh, online or it's not archived in, in some sort of, in, you know, an online archive. Uh, what are what are the options for for finding this article? Yeah, if I if I encounter that, I typically try to see first when it was published. If it's something recent and I can't get access mm. to it because my library doesn't have a subscription, I may try and contact the author directly. And most of the times, I found that or the email bounces back because it was a, a PhD student who has graduated and the email address is not uh, working anymore. Or I get somebody who is super happy that somebody is interested in their work and I immediately <laughs> get the paper and the long email explaining everything and additional references sometimes. <laughs> so I would say if, if that's the case, if you find something that looks interesting, uh, don't hesitate mm -hmm. to write the author. Most people are just happy to, to talk about their work. How about you? What, what do you do when, when you come across something you can't directly find? Yeah. Well, as you said, I'll, I'll often email um, the, either the author or often in the case of um, like research reports that are specific to a university or to a research institution, there's an email address that you can find. And I know I've done that. We got some uh, research reports from uh, University of California, San Diego that I was encountering everywhere, but I couldn't find the articles because they're behind the paywall. But if you email the person in charge, you know, they're, they're happy to send these these research reports to you. And so uh, that's been helpful and uh, I've used that in the past. And then in terms of contacting the author, now there's um, ResearchGate, which is, uh, you know, sort of, uh, I guess it would be a, a research social media type thing. It's great to get in contact with, uh, with authors because you can request these papers uh, directly from them. And uh, of course, there's a little bit of etiquette related to that. You know, I don't have a book that I've published, but of course, I think I would find it a little bit insulting if somebody were to ask me to send them my book for free. But, you know, maybe a research article, that's, you know, that's much more reasonable. And so I'd be happy to send a research article to somebody. And oftentimes they're available on that researcher's uh, research gate page directly without even have to ask for it. So, yeah, that's somewhere to look for uh, for these kind of research articles. So we often talk about these journals as being, uh, you know, we find all the articles online. We use search engines online. But do you often have the opportunity to actually flip through paper journal uh, editions and issues? I, I do really like looking through a, a paper journal version to find new things, to look at the pictures and to just see what mm. people are up to as well as to just encounter something that catches my eye and then uh, catches my interest. Now, unfortunately, the national uh, post of Ecuador has gone bankrupt during the corona crisis. So I'm not sure when I will uh, receive again. Uh, one of the journals that I, that I was receiving until recently at home is a Structural Engineering International, which is a, a journal of the 
International Association for Bridge and Structural Engineering. And that one also combines projects. So I always really enjoy looking at the project reports because that has the bridges and, and the new buildings and very nice pictures always. So uh, I hope I will still be receiving it, but I'm not sure if, if our mail system is still reliable. Okay. How about you? Do you look through physical copies? Um, no, I don't. And I, you know, it's a shame because I, I enjoy having paper copies of books more than electronic uh, copies. And, uh, but now that I'm thinking about it, other than maybe a few conference publications that I've never actually found, like actually looked up one of these papers in a in an, in an actual paper copy. Uh, but what I do do is I subscribe to the the email blast when they release a new edition for you know the ACI or or whatever uh, okay. journal is relevant in your field, and I'll look through those papers uh, when I get the email. You know, I'll just browse through all the different research topics and find ones that interest me. That's quite similar to flipping through the pages though yeah not as satisfying mind you and uh, ava i know you're a, a the word is polyglot right like multiple languages i wanted to use a fancy word there yeah i don't know how many languages you need to speak to qualify to be a polyglot but i guess more than one would no. <laughs> but uh do you often find yourself reading in different languages and do you find that uh useful in, in the field of structural engineering? Yeah, I, I, I do. And that's, that's a topic that I wanted to bring up today is that there may be a language bias in searching for articles that we're all um, focused on work that has been published in the English language. And especially when it comes to older references or uh, larger countries, larger language groups, it, it, it may be good to as well find articles from, from these other languages. And I think in what is structural engineering there has been a lot of work in the past done in germany that is published in german and even from uh countries around germany or even researchers from outside germany that have have published in in these uh, uh journals that used to or that are still considered prestigious but they publish in in the german language so i do read a fair amount of german um i don't speak the language very well but i i read it and i i know the technical terms and as a side note to that i i must thank uh, one of my professors from university of brussels we were taught in dutch but i remember that he wrote on the blackboard with his chalk and he had the white chalk for everything but he had a yellow chalk i think for the french term a uh, oh, blue nice. chart for the English term and a red chart for the German term. And every technical term, he would write those three languages under it. And I think that has helped me a lot later on, well, with the technical English, as then I went to study in the United States. But also knowing the French and, and German terms has has helped for my, my research to be able to, to read in these languages. That's, that's great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that, that bit of advice. That's something that I've, I'm encountering now is I learned all the English words, but in French, they're, you know, they're often completely different and you can get by with just saying the English word in an, in an accent, but you kind of want to use the correct word, you know, when you're talking mm -hmm. about a topic. <laughs> yeah. And so I guess, you know, going back to briefly the topic of actual paper journals, uh, often you'll encounter like, you know, a, a book or something that you don't have. Uh, an electronic copy of and so take advantage of your uh, interlibrary loan system if your library your local library doesn't have this copy 
you know, take advantage of that because, uh, you know, there, there's often articles or, or small books that you, you can't find anywhere else. There's no digital copy available. So take advantage of that because or else you'll, you'll be missing out on some important information in certain cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Interlibrary books are great. And then I guess the other way to get uh, exposed to research and to research articles and papers is to actually attend the conferences where those papers are published, right? <laughs> so that's a little bit difficult now. Yes. Well, it, it may be less difficult now that a lot of it is virtual. So you that's true. You may be saving out on the cost of having to travel. Um, but yeah, I think conferences are a great way to, or a great place to learn who is working on what. It, it always takes some time to, after a project is finished for the articles to come out. And uh, publication speed has gone up over the last years, but um, there's still, in our field, we tend to be a bit slow moving and it, it takes a while to just wait for the review, well, finish a project, write a paper, and then wait for the reviewer comments and bring in the new version. It, that whole cycle easily takes two to three years in our field. Uh, and I, mm-hmm. I, I know for some people in, in medicine, that may sound very archaic, but I think that's the, the reality of a lot of, of journals in our field still. Mm-hmm. And I then I find conferences really be a, a good place to you know get the, the first insights from a project that may be just finished or that is still going on to know who is working on what. Yeah, and so you sort of get the latest scoop from the conferences. And I think... Twitter and the other social medias like ResearchGate and LinkedIn, uh, not so much LinkedIn, but ResearchGate and Twitter are also useful to figure out, you know, what are people working on and uh, when can I expect these these publications and that sort of thing. So, Rico, tell me, when you have gathered all those papers and you have, I, I think I remember you said you print out everything when you have that stack and perhaps another stack of, of papers next to you, how do you start? Where do you, where do you start reading once you have found everything you think is important? Yeah. So um, I always, uh, you know, I always want to prioritize before I begin reading. And so, um, you know, that could be by topic. If there's a paper that is super specific and you know, related exactly to what I'm doing, then I'm going to obviously read that first. And then uh, I'll sort of rank them by, you know, high, medium and low priority papers. And then also the ones that I'm reading for you know, general interest sort of thing. And uh, in the, the high priority papers, uh, it might be useful if your reading time is limited to try and uh, rank them not so much by necessarily by impact, but like maybe a journal paper published in a, in a scientific journal is going to have a higher priority than maybe a conference paper. So that's something to keep in mind is like, you know, we, we can't all can't always be reading every hour of the day. So try and prioritize. And the other thing is uh, often look look for the the dissertation, you know, often these these papers, if they were related to PhD work, they'll have a dissertation associated with them. And so find that dissertation. Um, you you know, you don't have to read the whole 400 pages, but though I'm sure the, the PhD student will be happy if you did, but it's often more so to get details about the, the, you know, details about the research project that weren't in the paper. And so I've resorted to that if uh, the details aren't in the, the, the paper itself. But those I don't print out because, you know, uh, save the trees. And so... <laughs> I'm glad to hear you're not printing 800 page uh, dissertations. No, no, now especially now I'm printing from home, so uh, I think my printer would uh, would explode. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, this was episode 16 of the PhD Talk podcast. Today we did a deep dive into the topic of how to search for articles, where to find the good references that you need for your literature review. 
I would like to thank you all for listening today. And I hope you'll join us next week for more on research life and research mechanics.